0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: Hallelujah. Is the microphone on? Yeah, that's on for the tape. Oh, that's on. Okay. Um, the regular microphone isn't on yet, but at least the tape one is on. I've been asked just now to... Um, introduced Sylvia, and um, Sylvia came in the graduating class the year before me, (laughs) and um, Sylvia was one of those fortunate people who um, got exposed to this program, she'll talk about it I'm sure, by the Johnny Appleseed of um, SA and um, Jess uh, he's no longer alive he's big meeting in the sky but I um, uh, I first met Sylvia at a my first international conference in Warm Beach um, Oregon Washington Washington Warm Beach Washington and um, if I had a guess the whole international conference that year was probably smaller or no larger than what we have here today. Sylvia says it was smaller. Um you that was it. And she was there even before then. Uh Sylvia single handedly probably sponsors more women in this fellowship over the years than anyone's ever sponsored. She's been there, uh, for every woman, um, who's needed help in recovery, and she's been there for any guy who's needed help too, to receive the example she's set. Um, she's going to tell us her story this morning, and, um, she's just special person, wonderful human being, and, Uh, as Chuck's bringing us here, service work uh, in Nashville, Uh, uh, Sylvia has really demonstrated that for us nationally in her dedication to service work. Uh, Welcome, Sylvia.
2: Thanks, Harvey. I want to thank uh, the committee for asking me to do this. I uh, really appreciate being back in Nashville. I love Nashville. I like it better when you have the amusement park, though. (laughs) Uh, The mall isn't near as nice as the amusement park. So, um, but anyway, I am Sylvia and I am a grateful recovering sexaholic. My sobriety date is May 10th, 1983, and for that I am never sufficiently grateful. (laughs) um, I was um I'm a preacher's daughter, and I was um, raised in the church. Um, my first sexual experience, I got pregnant, and uh, so I had to get married. And my hu- my husband got drunk on my first date. I had never been with anyone who ever drank in front of me, much less got drunk. I didn't know anything about alcohol. I was probably about the most innocent person child that you could think of when we got married. I um we had a chivalry, I'll give you an example of it. They gave us, I don't know, a lot of you are children, so you don't know where The children <laughs> in the old days was when they took uh, the, the bride and the groom down Main Street of town, and, and they made the, the groom pushed the bride in a wheelbarrow someplace, and, and they had a party, and while they were doing that, they short-sheeted their beds and put saran wrap on the toilet stool and just generally did weird things to their house. And so they did that to us, and they wheeled me down to the local bar where my husband hung out. But when they wheeled me into the bar, I was indignant. You take me to a bar? What do you mean taking me into a bar? I mean, I was just totally indignant. So they took me out of the bar, and they took me to this guy's, they went to this guy's house, and they had their drunken party there. But I was, you know, I, I was so above that. I didn't know anything about it. It was out of my realm. And uh, as the years went on, my husband drank a lot. I, um, I went to one semester of school, and he worked night shift. I had no television, no car, and he was gone working. And... um I became extremely angry in that marriage. First off, I didn't want to get married because I wasn't ready. I was only 17 and I didn't want to get married and here I had acted irresponsibly and had to get married. And um, the first part of the marriage had been very unhappy. So I was extremely unhappy at that point. Um. As soon as the baby was born, I guess I began to act out, um, looking looking for someone who was going to fix me and make me whole, make me happy. And I um, always thought that somebody was going to do that. I always thought that the next person was going to make me whole, which is what our problem talks about. Next person's going to make me whole. And I kept looking for that person who would make me whole. And um, that person never came along. Years into the marriage, I thought, you know, every once in a while I'd find somebody I thought was going to make me whole. And then they decided they wouldn't do that. (laughs) And they would move on and they'd leave me, you know, uh, I don't know if any of y'all have any relationship addiction or not. (laughs) Um, Some of them may just be sex addicts, but... You know, some of you may have a little relationship addiction in there. And for me, what happened, when I did my first step, I realized that my my addiction had a lot to do with, I chased a guy till I could catch him, and when I caught him, I didn't want him anymore. So, when the guy left me, I chased him, hard, and then... Finally, I'd have to find somebody else that I'd start chasing because that would that was too hard. So when I let him leave, I chased him and I just went crazy. And, it <clears throat> and that happened a couple of times. Um, this this kind of tells you how powerless I was. I mean, I really was into my. Uh, I was—I'd go anywhere, go anywhere, take my children with me to a restaurant to meet the person. I mean, it was crazy behavior. Go to the zoo and take my children, and go to the zoo with with a boyfriend. You know, just crazy things that were dangerous in in terms of of. Uh, showing my children what I was doing and exposing them or having somebody in the house while the children were there. One day, uh, well, we finally, after many years of hate, well, one point we decided, my husband was drinking so much that I finally decided that, uh, he, he, we were going to do something, so I told him we'd either have to go to AA or transactional analysis. Now I don't know if any of you know what transactional analysis is, but it's a therapy group. So we went to the therapy group instead of AA, and it put kind of a band-aid on it for a little while, and then Several years later, we had a 25th, I mean, I had said when I walked down the aisle, I was so mad at him, I'm going to get a divorce as soon as this baby comes. So 25 years later, my daughter gave us a wedding uh, celebration and um, for our 25th wedding anniversary. My son says, why bother? They're going to be divorced next year. But they, she said, oh, hey, we well, got to have this big party. Well, she's a little bit of a drunk herself. So she had this big, huge party for us, and I think the next year my husband had a heart attack on December the 10th, and um, December the 10th is kind of an eventful day for me. Uh, My mother died on December the 10th. Jean had a heart attack on December the 10th several years later, and um, then two years later on December the 10th, he had a car wreck. And when he had the car wreck, he was drunk. And at this particular time, I was saving my money to hire a hitman. I didn't want to have a divorce
3: (laughs) because I wanted his insurance money.
2: (laughs) And my daughter was shooting cocaine, so she was stealing my money and hiding the dope where I was hiding my money, and um, we had a little bit of a crazy household. So um, anyway, we got to the hospital with this colleague. Oh, his buddy was a policeman, so he had he the open bottles in the trunk and told the um, other policeman who investigated, well, I think he had a heart attack because he's had one before. So he just, you know, got off of it without... Any ticket or anything with this car, it got to the hospital and he had this eyelid that was totally cut off. And so I immediately called a plastic surgeon to sew it on. You know, I'm I'm going to hire a hitman, but by golly, he's got to have his eye sewed on by a plastic surgeon.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, you know, he's got to look good. Um. Does anybody hear anything?
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. Gotta look good. Most important
2: thing is looking good. (laughs) So, it wasn't uh, very long after that that um, one of my daughter's friends came and told me how much my daughter was using and that she needed help. And so we went to a counseling session thing and and uh learned about addiction. And when they talked about addiction I said, That's me. But men uh my addiction, that's 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 me, you know, the whole cycle. Anything we do to get a drink or drug, that's me. I do all of that. I get frenzied and frustrated until I get to see the guy and then once I see him I mellow out and then okay and then whenever I uh, Where's off, And then I start the same cycle again, and I mean, it's, it's, it's me. Except my drug is a man. And I said, my, our counselor says, well, that's codependency. Okay, I said, yeah, but you don't understand, I can't stop. Well, it's still codependency. Anyway, we went through all the counseling and everything, we got my daughter into a treatment program, and um We had a family week, and we had to do all these secret stuff. So all my behavior came out. All my husband's behavior came out. And thank goodness he had a little bit of the same behavior at the time, you know. So all of our behavior came out. And and, um, we had to have that because my kids knew some of my behavior, and, and it would be thrown in our faces. And I ended up in treatment, and he ended up in treatment, and we had six weeks of treatment. We all came home, my daughter's using it again. We're doing, uh, weekly treatment as well as Friday Night Affair group stuff, which is for parents of drug addict kids. And we do that. And in my Friday Night group, they had this man who came, well, first off, went to an open IA meeting, and this man says, I'm a sexaholic and I'm looking for some people who think they have that problem for a group. Uh, wow. Well, I need that. And so they went on around. And then in my uh, group therapy thing, this guy spoke. And he gave a story. And I said, I need that. And I went up to him, the soon was over, and that was Jeff. And I told Jeff I needed it. Well, I was scared to go by myself, so I told all my OA friends, because by now I'm not only an Al Anon, you see. They The the treatment center put me in Al-Anon. I went to one of those every day. Then I got in OA in February, and they tell me three of those. So I'm going to Al-Anon three times a week and OA three times a week. And then I go to SA, and they tell me three times a week. So I'm going like nine meetings a week. And um, I meet Jess, and I get to my first meeting, and there's no women and three men. And I'm like, This is women's fantasy. This is my fantasy. (laughs) Do I even dare walk in this meeting? It it was scary. And I went in, and I could tell that two men in that group wanted recovery, and one did not. So we did have a meeting, and after that, some of my OA friends showed up, and we had good meetings in Oklahoma City for six months that Jess was in town because the women were groupies, and they wanted to be there, and as soon as Jess left, they were gone. And we were left with one man and me for years. And so we just met. And um, we would um, um, decide that we wouldn't meet next week if nobody showed up. Somebody would show up. And we'd stick around a little while, and then we'd decide, and we'd decide, well, we won't meet next week if nobody shows up. Somebody would show up. And that happened over and over. And then finally we had one guy stuck and he's got I guess nineteen years now, it's John. He's still there. And then after that we had a couple more that we've had to stick around. And um our group has not grown like Nashville. Oh, by the way, I went to an international convention in uh eighty three In uh, December, when I was just barely six months sober, I expected to find lots of women there that were going to tell me how to work this program. I got there, and I had the longest-term sobriety of anybody except for Roy. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. Jess had longer time than me. And that really scared me. I cried the whole time, except that I'd cry in my room. I'd put on my makeup and come out. I had to look good. After all, the most important thing is to look good. So, I did I looked good. And there a woman there, and Jess kept telling me, Now, you be sure and talk to this one particular person, because she's really doing a good program. Well, that says to me that I wasn't. You know, my immediate thinking is, You're just not doing this right, but she is. And so immediately I didn't like her.
3: <laughs>
2: and I wouldn't talk to her for anything. <laughs> so um, anyway, we we didn't. You know, women have jealousy. I think that's one reason it's really nice when we have uh, some of these meetings is that we have women's meetings so that we can get through some of that and, and realize that we're not competing, that we're very working. You know, we need each other to work together because there's so few of us for very few us. I also had another man there that I met and he was from Nashville and his name was Roy and I believe he came back and told Harvey about it and I believe he's in jail for life. Right? For murder and rape. So this is a bad disease if you don't do the program. Fatal and uh, devastating. So anyway, uh, at the end, we, we we decided we were going to tell Roy how to run this thing, and we did. We put it all together, and we had all filled except to how he we, he was going to run it. And then at the end of the meeting, we decided that we were really quite foolish, and we said, "Okay, forget everything." We said, "All we're going to do is have a convention every six months." So now we have conventions every six months just for fellowship. So I've been going to the conventions every six months, ever since. And I'm going to tell you that that is what's kept me sober. I believe that's what's kept me sober. I go to the conventions. I meet the people. I love meeting the people. I know people all over the world. doesn't matter where I go. There's a city. I know somebody. And that's been the most exciting thing. You know, I thought that recovery was going to be dull and gloom. And boring. And it has been the most exciting trip of my life. It has been wonderful. Uh, my husband's still alive. He's here. You can see that when you see, you saw him sitting up here with me. Uh, I didn't kill him. And.
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, right now there's a
2: lady in jail for killing her, in in Oklahoma City for killing her husband, getting ready to go on trial. And I just think they're, they're, but for this program, they're I, you know, because I was, I was almost to that point. Uh, I have two children. I have a son and I have a daughter. And my daughter was quite addicted at the time. And, um. Through the different programs, we were able to get some help and um she's sober and has three daughters and has had enormous foster children, two of which are still around and has and have children so I have two foster great grandchildren and um one of them in particular is quite our claim she totally believes that she belongs to us and is at the house almost every weekend, so we have a great grandchild, which I always have to explain because I want you to know I'm really not old enough to have a great grandchild. So I always have to tell you that, uh, but she's adorable. And um, I have one daughter, one granddaughter who may be working her way to one of the uh, a- one of the AA programs because she's doing a lot of drinking at 15. But, you know, these problems are going to be available to her. One of the things I found that kept me sober was service. And um I really, when I first started, I I wasn't going to do much service, and I didn't in the very beginning. And then somehow or another I started doing some, and then did a little more, and did a little more, and did a little more. And the uh, next thing I knew, I think I've done service ever since I've been in this program. And then after I finished being chairman of the, uh, the Board of Trustees, I didn't have a job anymore. And you know what? It left a big hole, and it's it's been a real hard two years since I went off as chairperson of the board because it's like, what do you do now, you know? Uh, at the same time I did that i had uh um I w- had uh we when we got in recovery we opened halfway houses for chemically dependent people and I became the counselor and I was the director of a halfway house and at the same time that uh, I went off the board uh we also closed the halfway house, and so I no longer had the job as the counselor. So I retired from two positions and it was like an emptiness and, uh, it's taken me a long time to begin to, uh, feel that and, and know what to do and I'm not sure I've, I've done it yet. I'm still working on that area. That's, that's the area of, um, it's been an area of depression that I have, uh, struggled with in the past couple of years. I, uh, I love this program. I love the people in this program. I love Harvey, he's been one of my big supporters. Jess has been a wonderful supporter. I thought I could talk forever, guys. Let's see. I'm going back and tell you stories. Then,
3: huh?
2: Tell more of my story? Oh well. I had the one addiction that I was so addicted to that um, um, he died. And um, there was another girl he had started seeing, and so she and I became good friends after he died. And uh, she was had another boyfriend, and she wanted me to float with her husband and see if her husband would go with me so I flirted with him and then she showed up at my shop one day and um, she looked really weird and I called this boyfriend and, and I said Johnny come get her and he wouldn't come get her and when he, she left she told me she got I mean, whenever I got off the phone and everybody was gone she took out a gun and she says, stay away from my husband. And I'm thinking, but you told me to flirt with him. But she told me to stay away from him. And she had a gun in her hand. And I'm like, what do I do? So I said, I want to go. <laughs> I will. I'll stay away. So anyway, I stayed away. <laughs> I don't go back there anymore. But it was weird. Uh, that's one of my stories. It's a little dangerous though that so with somebody says, even if they tell you to <laughs>
3: um
2: let's see one of uh, one of the one was um, I thought I fell in love with her I, not, I, long distance loves are always really good you know and I had a long distance love and he, he uh, broke up with uh, his wife found out and so he called me and wanted and I if I wanted to break up and I said no and then I changed my mind and I called him back and and um, he decided not to, and so anyway, timing was never right, you know, never right, and um, we went back and forth with that several times. Um, always had that fantasy in my head that we would have it someday. It would always be, one day we'll be together. Then I had a when I came in this program, I had this boyfriend that I was really, really crazy about, and uh, he had he had a wife and a mistress and me.
3: <laughs>
2: now, if I got him drunk enough, I could get him to to uh, you know do what I wanted him to. So I had to drink with him. Now I wasn't an alcoholic then, but I started getting awful close because <laughs> I had to drink with him, and. um He, I got real crazy. Now that was a real relationship addiction because I got really crazy. I'd chase him, I'd follow him, I'd go to his door and sit in my car outside. I'd do all kinds of really weird stuff, and um, it, it was awful. Now, in recovery, I'm going to tell you about some of my step work, but that's, you know, that was really, when I started doing my step work, I told you about doing my first step and how I realized that my addiction was chasing and flirting. One of the things on my um, uh, addiction is my flirting. I, um, I was at a party one time, and this um, guy told me how much fun I was when I was drunk. I was drinking water and um, so flirting was a high for me. You know, I could be high with my flirting, and that was my high. I um, got to my fourth step, and one of my fourth step in the this guy, the one I, it was the long-distance one that was on and off and on and off, and off, well, for 30 years it was on and off. <laughs> I mean, 30 years it was on and off. And um he was in town, and he called me, and I, I said, I'd be over there as And I called my sponsor, and she says, no, you make your amends by telephone. I said, you can't make amends by telephone. You've got to do it in person so they can see all of, all of your expression and, and, you know, the whole thing. You know, you've got to have all of it. Well, you make it by telephone you just can't do that you make it by telephone <laughs> I, have my phone. I just can't do that and I'm working in my I, I, I was a cosmetologist at that time and I was doing hair so I'm working in my shop and all of a sudden I realize that I'm looking in the mirror and I'm thinking okay what am I going to wear my hair Need to put on some makeup, and I realize that I need to fix myself up, look real good. You know, after all, the most important thing is to look good. So, when I realized that, I sat down, and I after my client left, I've sat down and I started doing some writing. I want to tell you, journaling I hate, and journaling works. And I sat down and I started writing and I realized that all I wanted was to impress him with absolutely how wonderfully spiritual and beautiful and gorgeous that I was so that he would lust not just for me physically but for my spiritual soul. (laughs) All the way. So I I uh, got on the phone and called him and made my amends on the telephone, just like my sponsor said to do. That's why when you make an amends, you write it down and you call your sponsor and you talk to your sponsor before you make the amends. So... That was one of my amends. Another one of my amends was to another person who was a family friend, and he came by the house. And I said, okay, Jean's going to be here. What am I going to do? She says, you make your amends by being courteous and friendly. And that's it. No, nothing else. And so that's what I did. So there's lots of ways to make your amends. But the important thing is that you talk to your sponsor about how to make the amends appropriately. And um, oh, whenever the next day after I made my amends on the telephone, I drove. My husband sent me. It was a Mother's Day, and the kids had come over, and and they'd done lunch. And you know we're still angry. Everybody in my house is still mad at each other at this point, and. So they'd come for dinner, and then they all left as quick as they could. And Jim's working on the fence, and he wants me to go get something, and I'm sitting there mad because nobody stuck around. And so I go to get something, and his mother lives a block from where this guy's staying. And I drive my car past that house, and I'm thinking, i just turn down that street and see if I see him. And then I thought, no, I can't do that. I had the hardest job not to turn on that street to do that. And that's when I realized that this addiction is so strong with our ego. I mean, my ego was so sick that I just wanted to drive by and see that. And it was so painful to not do that sidestep. And that's when I've just, you know, realized how how painful the uh, the ego is in this addiction, and that's been one of the uh fresh fresh ones now on the tenth step one I'll tell you experience on that one I did a tenth step one once uh my cousin was having a they were having an anniversary and they were here in, in Oklahoma City and they lived in a little town called Weatherford which is really not but an hour away, that they'd come to Oklahoma City and they'd spent the night in a the hotel. They were going to go to the Joker's Club for an evening, a party. and So we had told them we'd come party with them. Well, we got time to go, and I said, you know, they're just going to have dirty jokes. And she says, and yeah, it's just going to be drinking. So we decided we really didn't want to go, so we just didn't go. We didn't call them and tell them we weren't. And the next day I said, we ought to call him and apologize for not going, and we didn't. So for six months that bothered me. Every time I thought about him, I felt guilty. So the next time I saw him, which was a good six months later, I said, you know, I'm I'm really sorry we didn't show up to to your anniversary party. She says, oh, Ruby got sick and we were at the hospital. We didn't go either. (laughs) So for six months I worried over something. But if I'd done it the next day, I wouldn't have had to worry about. So I think that's why that word "immediately" or "promptly" is in there. Do this promptly. Now it has it has a reason. These 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 words in here uh, continue to take personal inventory on when we were wrong. Promptly admitted it. I mean. If I pay attention, it has uh, a reason. And I'm bad about procrastinating. I guess I ought to be in Procrastinators Anonymous, but I keep waiting on somebody else to start it.
3: (laughs) 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 Um, Anyway,
2: I guess... My 10th and 11th step, I have went through a period of time where I was really, really good about that. I do a daily inventory and and my uh, and daily meditation. I joined meditation groups and I did it. I did the daily meditation group for so long that when I got out of the class, I didn't want to do it anymore. And it worked so well. I mean, you know, if it works really well. I don't need to do it anymore. Have you noticed that about coming to these meetings? If you do it really well, you don't need to do it anymore? Have you seen people who who uh decide after a while that they don't need to do it anymore? Well, I've been kind of that way with my 10th and 11th. I've done it so well for so long that uh, uh, I kind of have sliced off. And um you know what? I can tell it. I can tell it in my attitude. I can tell it in my behavior with my children and my family and my friends. I can tell it. You know, these steps are really important because the 10th and the 11th step are the summation of the rest of the program. You know, if I continue to take personal inventory and promptly admit it, I am doing... Step four and five. And if I do step 11, I'm doing steps one, two, three, six, and seven. And I guess if I'm doing 10, I'm doing seven, I'm doing eight and nine also. And then on the 12th step, I'm going out and sharing my experience, strength, and hope. And you know what? If I don't tell you about my experience, strength, and hope in this program, I can't keep it. And um, I keep coming back because if I don't hear your experience, strength, and hope, I forget about mine. And I have a tendency to forget where I've been and what I've done. And uh, some of my stories I bury deep. Um, I think I've told you two that I hadn't told before. Um, today, so um, it's kind of hard to tell some of those, especially when you know it's on (laughs) tape. You know, uh, you always think about, okay, my husband's going to hear this, (laughs) but after 20 years, I guess it doesn't matter. (laughs) So... uh, our relationship today, with uh, you'll hear about that, and, and, and we still love you. You know what? We don't get along all the time in that relationship, but it's a good relationship. And my children, I was going to tell you about them. That my daughter's sober, 20 years, coming up on 21, and um, have these wonderful children, and my son. When I came in this program, he would look at me with this disgusted look. And when he talked to me, he talked to me in such a disgusted tone. And now he calls me and asks me advice. And he, he treats me with great respect. And um, he had a lovely wife that was very spiritual, and uh, she had multiple sclerosis, and she passed away in 1996. And when she died, he decided, he committed himself to go uh, in, into ministry for his second profession. He went back to seminary, and, uh, I mean, he went to seminary, and got his degree, and he is an associate pastor, uh, of a Methodist church. I think my family's addicted to Methodism because I've told Harvey that I went back in my history and I found out that my great, 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 I mean, all my relatives from all these years are, are that, and, and now my son. and um, um, he, he married another young lady with three children. He's raising the other people's children. Never had his own. He keeps raising other people's. He's he's a very nice young man. Um, so the experience of having other other children in our lives has been really great. We have we have a very large family, and we're, right now we're looking forward to having a convention in Oklahoma City, which will be what our fourth one. I think I think David's spoken at every one we've had. <laughs> Um so uh and I think this will be our fourth one. Anyway, we're gonna have one in July. We hope that we all will come and be there with us. And um we're excited. And I think that's about it. And that's I do want to say thank you again to everybody, and uh, thank you for having me here. And uh, it's been really good to renew acquaintances with Harvey and David. We've been friends for many, 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 many years, and that's been special. Thanks. And Catherine. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Uh, you guys want to close the meeting with a uh, surrender prayer or prayer? To, a Lord's prayer? because they want to make a circle. What are we going to do? <clears throat> surrender prayer probably
3: everybody knows it. Mm-hmm connect up however you can <laughs> you can manage <laughs> <laughs> oh well uh, uh, serenity prayer God God, God me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. I um, will not mind them. it coming back. It works. It works. <laughs> <good. laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve,